0: You're listening to a 3CR podcast, created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.
1: And welcome to the Radioactive Show, produced at the studios of 3CR Melbourne and heard nationally on the Community Radio Network. Hello and welcome to 3CR's Radioactive Show. This show is produced on the lands of Ngāi Tahu, Ngāti Mamoe and Waitaha, with audio recorded on Turbo lands for 3CR, which is located on Runtree-Roiwurrung lands. I pay my respects to elders past and present from across all these sovereign nations, who hold the true authority on their own country. The Radioactive Show is distributed across so-called Australia on the Community Radio Network and brought to you with the financial support of the Nuclear Free Collective at Friends of the Earth Melbourne. My name is AC. In today's show, I'm sharing a discussion from one of ICANN's nuclear ban hubs, an event we hear from experts from on the ground at the landmark first meeting of the state parties to the UN Treaty on the Prohibition of Nuclear Weapons. This one was hosted by a Women's International League for Peace and Freedom, or WILF, in Menjin, Brisbane, on June 22nd. It was facilitated by ICANN Australia director Jim Rommeld, campaigner Jamila Rushton, and ICANN founder Dimity Hawkins, who spoke with Ray Atchison, the director of Reaching Critical Will, the disarmament program for the Women's International League for Peace and Freedom, and Rico Ishii Robertson, a third-generation hibakusha or nuclear bomb survivor from Peaceboat, Japan. We start with Jamila, who introduces Ray Atchison.
0: Uh, very thrilled to be here with our great, great friend, Ray Atchison from Reaching Critical Will and the Women's International League for Peace and Freedom. Um, you've also been watching closely um, the events over the past few days and have been compiling like a, a digest, mm-hmm. um, a daily digest as part of Reaching Critical Will. What are, what are, how, what's your thoughts on how things are going so far?
2: Well, um, I'm really excited to be here. I'm excited to be with all of you. so thank you so much for, for having me. Um, it's, it's kind of amazing to be at this meeting, considering how much work went in to this treaty, and I've been thinking back to when there was just a few of us, you know, scrapping along in basements and with no money, and it's just incredible that we made international law and got a bunch of states to agree to this (laughs) and now they're here and they're meeting and they're doing serious work. Um, We mostly got stuck in the general exchange of views yesterday so that's going to be continuing this morning. Uh, uh, Unsurprisingly uh, it went over as these things do but I think that's also positive in a way because all the countries that have shown up here uh, have rejected nuclear weapons, um, and they deliver just really strong interventions that make it clear that they're determined to make this treaty meaningful in our world, and that they see it as the answer to the violence that we're engulfed in right now in terms of Ukraine, but also beyond that, um, with global military spending on the rise, climate change on the rise, and um, Global poverty and inequalities. And they really see the ban treaty as fitting into this larger landscape. Of our worlds and see it as a tool that promotes dialogue, cooperation. Um, you know, instead of weapons, it promotes words. So I think the positive spirit and energy at this meeting are unlike other UN meetings where you have the nuclear armed states coming in talking about how vital their weapons are and how mm. you know they're, they're instrumental to security. So there's none of that here. We will, of course, as Susan said, we'll have the statements from some of the other observer countries today so they might have a slightly different tone but I think also I'm hoping that they'll come with a sense of positivity catch on to the vibe here a little bit that they um, you know if they're at this meeting um, there's there's serious work to be done. Um, We've also of course coming into this meeting had three new ratifications for the treaty so that was excellent to get to celebrate and we know there's more on the way and it's really just you know, bureaucratic logistical loopholes that prevented there not being more um, than three on the opening day. And so I think we'll have some new announcements coming forward in the days to come. Um, And then I'm looking forward, I think, at this meeting to also, once they get into the work of, of the different articles on the treaties, Um, to really see how a lot of that plays out. They've done so much work coming into this meeting already. The Austrians held an extensive series of consultations over the last year uh, to develop the working papers, which are all available on the Reaching Critical Will website if you um, need to find those. And I think um, those are really good basis for the action plan that will hopefully be adopted here on the final day.
3: Ray, that's fantastic. It's so great to hear all of those updates. And thank you so much for everything in the Reaching Critical Will website. If people haven't seen it, I'll post a link in a minute. I mean, where have you been if you haven't been on Reaching Critical Will lately? But it's a remarkable, a remarkable resource for us all. It really helps to keep us across. And the new ban uh, monitor, the new Nuclear Ban Daily, has been a really wonderful read as well. It sort of gets you across things so quickly. So thank you for that ray i have a million questions for you but we're really calling for questions from the floor as well Um, i can't be greedy and keep you all to myself but i did want to ask one quick question while i'm asking people to post anything that they would like to ask in the chat which is that we're hearing a lot about complementarity with um, the mpt and the tpnw with the treaty what can you tell us about that and the and how that is going to be played out? Because we're hearing a lot of um, questions around how those two things will work together.
2: Mm-hmm. So the state champions of the TPNW have always made it clear that they see this treaty as being uh, a fulfillment of their own Article VI obligations from the Nonproliferation Treaty, which commits states to pursue nuclear disarmament in good faith. So if you don't have nuclear weapons, how do you pursue nuclear disarmament? And so part of that was to develop international law prohibiting nuclear weapons, uh, filling some of the legal gaps that existed um, within the Non-Proliferation Treaty that creates this hierarchy of states and just categorically outlaws nuclear weapons for everybody, Um, And then also, of course, creates the positive obligations um, that the non-proliferation treaty doesn't have anything on. And so... The TPNW is, in that sense, uh, an extension of the NPT obligations. It's always been seen that way. Uh, Of course, one of the arguments from some of the nuclear armed states or some of their allies has been that it uh, undermines the NPT. But there's no sense in which the treaty actually does that, because it uh, has stronger nonproliferation measures in that you can't share nuclear weapons, you can't, you know, everything you couldn't do under the NPT is still illegal. And then there's added obligations um, that are made clear with this treaty. And then also in terms of, you know, future verification of, of disarmament, well, all of that has to be set out anyway. So I always scratch my head when people say it undermines the NPT's verification structure. It's like the NPT doesn't have a verification structure. The NPT, you know, has its um, safeguards, obligations, but those are still continued very explicitly under the, um, the TPNW as well. So in that sense, also, it just complements, reinforces uh, the, the, the NPT.
1: There was Ray Edgerson from Reaching Critical Will and Women's International League for Peace and Freedom. You're listening to The Radioactive Show on 3CR, 855 on the radio and streaming online at 3cr.org.au. Next, event host, Dimity Hawkins, continues the discussion with Ray Edgerson.
3: Now, look, another question that has come up is how has gender been talked about? in the meeting so far women and uh, you know the role for women in disarmament is one of the uh, points within the treaty of course and we know the importance of women's leadership in um in the um, disarmament movement more generally how have we seen that being addressed within this meeting of states parties at the moment
2: oh. Yeah, a number of countries are reaffirming their commitment to the gender provisions of the TPNW, which includes, of course, that uh, there's a disproportionate impact from ionizing radiation on the bodies of women and girls. Uh, So that's um, in in the preamble of the treaty. But then also... The uh, call for states to increase women's participation. Um, so there is—it's—it's it's very binary still in the treaty, as it is in in, in a lot of things these days. Um, but it is. Uh, the first time that we've had either of these kinds of recognitions in international law on nuclear weapons. So it's groundbreaking in that regard. Uh, And and a number of countries have spoken to the importance of these provisions at this meeting. Now, one thing, I I do critique things in the name of feminist love. um, And I would say that the gendered representation at this meeting is abysmal. It has been overwhelmingly men taking the floor in this meeting. And that actually surprised me because I thought that with these provisions in the treaties um, countries would take seriously their concerns about representation. Um, so I think that's definitely something that we can call out as the. I mean, there's still two days left of discussion, so maybe that will improve. Maybe it was just the the high level opening debate. We know how the higher you go in a in a government system, often it's quite skewed. So I think that could even out. But at the end of this meeting, I think that it's something we can address with states to to do better at the next meeting for sure.
3: Yes, it is surprising, isn't it? I was watching last night at the opening and and thinking the same thing. There was a lot of male voices there and um, less, but, you know, that's that's not representative of how we've seen this develop in time, over the time of this community. Are there any questions from our friends in Mianjin?
0: Hello, my name's Leah, and you're talking about representation of, of uh, women. Also interesting, when I look at the... the um, The age range of the people here in the (laughs) River Cross. Just interested to know if if other states and other places, other meeting venues, um, if young people are well represented. Mm. I happen to be on the older end of that scale. So... (laughs)
2: Yeah, in here in Vienna, there are heaps of young people. I, I don't even know most of the people that came to the nuclear ban forum on the weekend. Honestly, they're young, they're vibrant, they're engaged, they're ready to go. Uh, it's really been amazing to see, especially, I think, after being trapped indoors for two and a half years. Yes, it's incredible yes. that, like, where did all these young people come from that suddenly care about nuclear weapons? But I think it's because of all the work that ICANN has, has done over the years to really try and engage engage a younger generation and so they are here at this meeting of states parties they are doing advocacy with governments they are helping us with note-taking they are participating in the side events they're organizing different things so that's been just wonderful to see that's great thank you
3: Ray I've just got uh, there's so many People asking questions in the chat here to me. Um, I've just got two more for you. I know you need to get back to the meeting because it's a big day. Um, One person here from the Red Cross is asking, um, I have a follow-up question on compatibility between NPT and TPNW. What are the thoughts around some states' views that TPNW provides opportunities to forum shop between the NPT and the TPNW safeguard measures for states that are yet part, party to either treaty sorry so. right just before you go i will just throw the other one in here as well um have the talks been positive with south uh south pacific nations as mm. well yeah throwing both things at you at once
2: okay um so yes the there's no i don't see a risk with forum shopping um you know almost all countries in the world are uh party to the non proliferation treaty it's only India, Pakistan, uh, Israel, and uh, DPRK that are not. Um, I don't think any of them are going to join the TPNW as an expectation that that would somehow let them off the hook for safeguards. Um, I think quite the contrary. Uh, we would love to have them in the TPNW, of course, but then they would be committing to complete nuclear disarmament and so and under a, verif- a verified system um, to be agreed as uh, nuclear armed states join the treaty. So I don't see that as a risk at all. Um, There's zero talk or appetite for countries that have joined the TPNW to leave the NPT. I mean, of course, there's a lot of uh, frustration and anger within the n p t regime we had egypt walking out a few years ago from a meeting um and you know the the frustration there with failed review conferences or or failure to commit um, to fulfill the commitments to disarmament or on the middle east uh certainly come up but there 's never been even hints of folks leaving the 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 n p t for the t p n w and i i would be astonished if if that happened um, but uh yeah so i think that that is We will continue apace and see what happens at the NPT, RevCom. We'll also be there, Reaching Critical Will. We'll also be there with doing our reporting, but I think we'll be in less good spirits at that meeting. (laughs) If you talk to us, we'll be like a little bit lower energy and ripping our hair a little bit. Um, But uh, we'll definitely be there and advocating for the best possible outcomes, of course. And then on the South Pacific, yeah, I mean, the Pacific engagement, I think Susan was also talking about this, just really incredible to see so many uh, countries from the Pacific here uh, taking things seriously. They've been engaged uh, with the consultations, uh, feeding into the working papers and then the action plan, Um, really strong statements from many of them yesterday. And I'm sure that will continue throughout the week as well. Um, Really seeing this as... know something that while not a perfect instrument is still the first time that it's really been acknowledged uh what has been done to the pacific by the nuclear armed states Mm -hmm. and um that there is you know redress for this um and that we are taking justice into account within this uh treaty regime which is very unique um and so it's just it's great that um representatives of these countries also see that, recognize that, and are engaging with the treaty on that basis.
1: That was Ray Atchison, the Director of Reaching Critical Will, the disarmament program of the Women's International League for Peace and Freedom, speaking there about the unique nature of the Treaty on the Prohibition of Nuclear Weapons, which includes a focus on redress for past injustices like nuclear testing in the Pacific. You're listening to The Radioactive Show. Next, we hear from Rico Ishii-Robertson, a third-generation herbaksha or nuclear bomb survivor from Peaceboat Japan.
0: Hi, everybody. Back in Australia, I really am happy to be here. I am together with Dimity and Tillman from um, ICANN Australia. I am a part... Peaceboat is a part of a new initiative called Nuclear Truth Project, which is focusing on the sensitivity and proper, properly manners to approach to the community uh, uh, affected peoples. Because again, how you are always telling us there's nothing about us without us. So Nuclear Truth Project is taking it very seriously and putting it in words in the proper document so everybody can share and learn and adapt it in the practice. So that's one of the last thing I wanted to add about what I am representing here. So it's incredible because I, to see how much uh, movement and actions coming out from Japan. Be, as as be, as um, I am I have been out of the country for the last ten years. Um, I have been hearing how it is going on and uh, moving forward as in text and and videos, but meeting and in person and having an off-the-record conversation is really valuable, and I'm learning so much very quickly. Yesterday, there was a youth MSP, and um, one of the Hibakusha uh, had a testimonies in front of about 100 youth advocates Coming from all over the world and um, learning from each other. And, and after that, we had a little workshop um, that was um, coordinated by the youth delegates from Japan. And I've been talking to other colleagues how the Japanese youth has changed um, because traditionally, Japanese people are rather shy and feel a little uh, uncomfortable speaking in, in, uh, in, in English when we can't speak perfect English. But I don't see it anywhere at all in their, in their actions. They just go and talk to people in whatever level of you know, language uh, that they have. Um, it's more like, I want, I'm here representing people and I have an important message to pass, to pass to you. So please, can we have a conversation? So that courage and that commitment in youth, uh, it's really inspiring to see and um, it is um, kind of is also inspiring the old Hibakusha who's getting really old and kind of um, their health condition, their physical strength has been uh, decaying. So I think it, I'm, I'm I'm seeing that the uh, the youth presence here and back home is really giving them hope. And again, as Aunt- Auntie Sue put it in a beautiful word in. Uh, uh, civil society forum, um, um, our hope and stories is stronger than your weapons and grief. And I really, really agree with that. And I think I'm seeing that back in Japan and, and here as well. And um, continuing following that, we had the um, parliamentarians for PTP and WDU, um, and, um um, there were four Japanese parliamentarians joined as a part of it. And um, they were really committed to be taken taken as, as a role in that uh, discussion. So um, without our presence of the government, it was still very, I did see hope in there. Um, another action that I saw yesterday was the mayors for peace led by two mayors from Hiroshima and Nagasaki. And... They, uh, the mayor, Matsui Kazui, yesterday he said um, um, they are hosting a G7 summit next year, and then he was very encouraging all the um, participants to the uh, summit to learn from the, uh, to learn about the impact that was um, brought by the nuclear weapons to the hibakushis in Japan. Um, so it's a r- rather quick recap of yesterday about the Japanese delegation and their actions.
3: Uh, that's wonderful thanks so much for that recap and great to meet you Rico wonderful that you're there um, so we're you know so sorry obviously that the J- Japanese government decided not to attend formally um, that's that's must be so disappointing for so many people um, but we're working very hard to get Australia on board the treaty and we're so pleased that the formal delegation is there um, how do you think when Australia does sign and ratify, how do you think that might affect uh, your work in Japan?
0: Oh, it's going to have a huge uh, positive impact on, on on our government, for sure, because we are connected with one ocean. You are on the other end of the ocean. And we say that because we walk on the boat and then that, that goes around the water, right? So we do know that it's connected. And because our government... Uh, is not courageous enough as, as your new government. So I really appreciate the presence of Susan because um, the ruling government of Australia has taken a huge step forward to send the delegation here. I mean, send her here. And I think that will kind of sh- give us a showcase that um, even under a huge impact of the nuclear weapon states politically, we can still do that. Our government can still do that. What's lacking here is the will and commitment. And that is a very shameful, shameful uh, uh, behavior. And together with our um, presence of the youth and uh, yeah, uh, young activists and hibakushas, and our um, media is is huge here. There are like 10 Japanese media it's here covering how, actually how much wider the nuclear affected peoples uh, are from and, and, and how, much more they're out there uh rather than Hibaksha. so um and how shameful it is uh unlike your your government that they're not even here to learn susan said that she's here to learn and she's open for dialogue and that's what we want um so i think um if your if australian government does step forward and um you know send uh sign and ratify TPNW, it's definitely going to have a positive impact, which we, the Japanese civil society groups, are really, really looking forward to see.
1: There was Riko Ishii-Robertson, a third-generation Hibakusha or nuclear bomb survivor from Peaceboat Japan. You're listening to The Radioactive Show, produced for 3CR and distributed across so-called Australia on the Community Radio Network. Next, Rico responds to a question from the audience about how the threat of nuclear war in Ukraine has impacted on people at the UN meeting.
0: Oh, thank you for the question. Um, it's been, um, because this conference is taking place in in Europe where the threat and uh, uh, fear of the next nuclear war is so realistic, uh, it's been often mentioned by the um uh, the, the, the events and and um, I think that uh, although it's very really scary that, that people are taking this TPNW's importance and, and necessity more seriously mm. because of the in-phase threat of the nuclear war and um, I just wanted to make it very quick but I wanted to say that um because you have Aboriginal community, because you have the impacted peoples by the, by the um, um, other um, nuclear uh, 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 industry. I mean, nuclear weapon industry. Um, Pacific use um, from Major, She said um, it feels like um, when you're talking about the possibility and uh, um, and uh, and threat of upcoming nuclear war they feel like they're left behind and I think it's very important to not note that where European delegates are so focused on the coming, incoming threat of nuclear war there are people who who survived and there are people who have been fighting about this so I think it's very important to get that voice forward and and then push the article 6 and 7 right here in the discussion room so they actually feel that it's not just a threat. It has actually happened in the past and it's still ongoing, The impact is ongoing. So if we can put the dialogue into that discussion table, I think it's going to be very effective. And we've got a really strong voices here from the South Pacific and I can Australia represented by Mm -hmm. Jamila. So um, yeah, that's that's what we are um, hoping to see. Uh, to hear in in the conversation, um, Rico.
3: Thank you so much for your explanation. Um, I was wondering if you could talk a little bit more about how the voices of Habaksha have been incorporated into the events there in Vienna. And um, I particularly wanted to thank you for mentioning the the protocols with the um, Nuclear Truth Project as well. But how have the Habaksha been
0: Represented in um, in Vienna there this week. Um, it's surprising that they, uh, so many hibakushas flew such a long distance in such uh, in scary uh, moments in in pandemic. Um, they brought themselves over here and they have been welcomed and rep- well represented at the hu- um, Civil Society Forum and the Humanitarian Impact of Nuclear Weapons Forum, but then not much on, on the um, first meeting of said parties. And we've, we're getting a lot of questions from Japanese media, why the representative of the nuclear impact affected peoples are from Kazakhstan and not Hibakshak. The, the answer is very simple. Our government is not present. and Kazakhstan gov- Kazakh government has taken initiative. So it's such an embarrassing thing and it's such a disappointing thing for, for um, aging Hibaksha people. and you know they, have, they are used to being disappointed by our government, but this is such a final blow for them because we've been, they have been waiting for our government to say, we, we come, we, at least we are observing this, but that didn't even happen. So they are excellent in keeping up their hopes um, and being kind and being open to dialogues and interviews from, um, you know, medias from all, all over the world, but you can't hide their, their disappointment and there's a very clear reason why.
1: There was Rico Ishi Robertson a third-generation hibakusha or nuclear bomb survivor from Peace Boat, Japan. That's it for today. You've been listening to The Radioactive Show, produced for 3CR remotely in Waitaha, in Te Waipunamu in Aotearoa, and broadcast across the stolen lands known as Australia through the Community Radio Network. Thanks to Ray Atchison and Rico Eshi-Robertson for sharing their insights on the first meeting of state parties to the UN Treaty on the Prohibition of Nuclear Weapons, and to event hosts Jim Rommel, Jamila Rushton, and Dimity Hawkins from ICANN. Also, Women's International League for Peace and Freedom in Menjin, Brisbane. This show and all our previous podcasts can be found at 3cr.org.au forward slash radioactive. If you want to get in touch with us, please email on radioactiveshow.3cr at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and here's to a nuclear-free future.